Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Congressman Ro Khanna is on the line with us. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. You can tweet him at rep, as in representative, rep Ro Khanna. Congressman Khanna, welcome back. Great to be back on your show, Tom. And I uh, am looking forward to taking all the calls with listeners. I mean, it's a really frustrating time on the Hill right now where McConnell is basically standing in the way of any relief for the American people. It's a true tragedy. On July 10th, 1861, a resolution was introduced into the United States Senate to expel 10 members, 10 members from states that had seceded from the Union. It passed the next day and they were expelled. There was one uh, member who wasn't from Arkansas because he refused to go along with the Confederacy. But I'm thinking that these 106 Republicans who signed this letter to the U.S. Supreme Court are engaging in seditious behavior. And if not being expelled, I would favor expulsion, but I'm not a member of Congress. And I, I, can, you know, I can say things on the radio that a person like yourself might be a little more circumspect about. And at I'm the very least, <laughs> yeah, at the very least, face some sort of a, a, of a consequence, whether it's whatever the congressional version of a slapping of the hand is. Is there any talk among the Democratic caucus about holding these guys to account for trying to basically devastate democracy in the United States for participating in this conspiracy? Well, the accountability has to come from their own party. I mean, obviously, we'll condemn them. We'll condemn them on the floor. And the Supreme Court, in my view, and every legal dollar I've talked to his view, is not going to take this case. So this is going to be a moot point once we get to December 14th, and they're going to look foolish. But to me, the, the concerning thing is not the fact that these members are doing it, as much as the fact that if you replace them all, you'd have new members from those districts that do the same thing. And so the polarization Mm. and the conspiracy theories have permeated the public. And that is what is, I think, deeply concerning. You don't, it's not that you have cynical members of Congress manipulating, you know, behind the scenes, the process. You have a sizable base of people who voted for Trump, who, because of the toxic media environment, because of Fox News, because of OAN, because of Newsmax, because of right-wing radio, have an alternative conception of reality. And, you know, I know you've written and spoken ad nauseum about this, but that's what we have to address, is the media environment that is creating alternative realities in this country more than do we censor someone or, you know, or create pushback, because they're just going to be replaced by the same people with the same ideology. Yeah, good point. I would add to that toxic stew or goulash or whatever, the foreign actors who are have been since 2015 flooding into Facebook in particular, yeah. but also other social media sites. You know, I mean, we had here in Oregon, we had three different towns where during the wildfires here, during this really difficult time for the state, we had three different towns where dozens, in one case over 100 local people showed up with their hunting rifles and their and every weapon they could get their hands on. One guy had a pan, right? Uh, you know, on a cast iron skillet. He was going to bash. Other guys had baseball bats because they were convinced that busloads of black people were going to be bussed into their little rural Oregon towns from downtown Atlanta. And they were Antifa and BLM protesters who are coming to burn their towns down and rape their women. 
And all of that that got these literally hundreds of people in Oregon in the streets of these small towns and in some cases some local sheriffs with them, all of that came out of, it appears, Russia. Perhaps uh, Saudi Arabia played a role in this, we're not really sure. But none of that came from U.S. sources. This is a crisis, too. Yeah, and, and you know, one of the interesting social media studies, even though it deals with Germany, not the United States, just came out by counteraction. It turns out that 85% of social media conversation in Germany on Facebook was of the ADF party, which is basically the ultra-right-wing extremist party, even though they're getting 15% of the vote because they have bots amplifying and echo chambers. And I'm sure if you studied U.S. social media, the top 10 sites, actually I know there's the top 10 sites, nine of them are conservative sites, only one liberal site in the top 10. So you have conversation that is being totally distorted by algorithmic bots and that are spreading misinformation. It's a very toxic environment. And the one point to make time is when you talk to Republicans behind the scenes, because I've gotten to know some of them, some of them I've worked with to try to end the war in Yemen. You know, in some cases, they'll say, oh, this is just the, the president being the president. And well, we agree with you. In this case, they actually believe that there was voter fraud and that the election is not legitimate. It is more concerning to me that they have that view of reality than if they were just playing instrumental politics. I, I mean, we have an epistemic crisis of facts in this country. Wow. It's just incredible, isn't it? Josh in uh, Virginia Beach, California, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. How can we create a viral topic of progressives, bold progressives, encouraging each other to run for all levels of government and party leadership seats and just flood into the party to transform it from the bottom up? I know it's very important. I know we all agree it's very important. But I guess my question is because I'm not seeing it being very viral. I know we have the Sunrise Movement and Our Revolution and and some other organizations working on this. But how do we make it super viral so that we're all actually talking about it? Especially right now, we're in filing periods for 2021. And I think a lot of people don't know there's many states that have tons of local state and local elections, like Virginia's legislature, New Jersey's legislature, lots of mayoral, lots of governorships. And in view of uh, Nina Turner, news that she has filed to run, potentially running for uh, Congress, I know we're all very in big support of that. You know, we're not really hearing a lot of people talking about all the other, you know, opportunities that are going on right now. Josh, it's a great point. And I'm obviously very strongly supportive of Nina Turner, who's going to be running for Marsha Fudge's seat in Ohio. That'd be a big win. She was a co-chair of Bernie's campaign. But you're right. I mean, there are a lot of members of Congress that will be up, obviously, every two years and primaries that we should have progressives in. There are a lot of city council seats, mayor seats, school board seats, and it probably would be good for there to become have some organization, an umbrella organization, where you could find information of all progressive candidates running and openings and coordinated with justice Democrats and progressive campaign for change and democracy for America. And that infrastructure doesn't quite exist. And so you raise a valid point and I can try to, when I talk to these organizations, see how we can coordinate better. Zach in North Hollywood, California, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. I wanted to talk about messaging something Tom brought up Tuesday morning, and I think it's just so important being that we have so few outlets for our messaging. I'm suggesting that we start messaging and repeating talking points concerning modern socialism. Common sense, I'm suggesting, could be a synonym for modern socialism. Crosswalks, red lights and green lights, refuse removal, the FDA keeping food safe, toilets and sewer system, even subsidies for big oil in the Pentagon, socialism. You know, pardons and bailouts for political criminals when their schemes fail, socialism. It's all just different forms of socialism, but the main socialism we need to get to is socialism for everyone from the bottom to the top, not just socialism for high society. So I think Jack's point is that there are a lot of public goods, public benefits of fire, of police, of public schools, of hospitals, county hospitals, that are part of a a free enterprise economy. And when we are talking about expanding public services, expanding public school, 
expanding public health insurance, we are talking about a framework that is very consistent with American democracy. And unfortunately, what we've had in the last 40 years since the Reagan revolution has been expanding government help for the rich and not for the working class and middle class. We need to focus on expanding those public services for the working class, middle class and the poor. And, and to that extent, I agree. Tom, in North, also in North Hollywood, California, you're on the air with Congress and Khan. We the people are the government, and we must never forget that. Basically, well, what I want to hear is instead of people saying, I don't take money from PACs, I don't take money from the corporations, I want to hear more you guys saying, hey, money and lobbyists are the problem. Call out the money people and the lobbyists and the donation people, because we got to get money out of politics. I do say that. I mean, I think that the moneyed interests are the problem. The pharmaceutical moneyed interests, the defense contractor moneyed interests, the fossil fuel moneyed interests, uh, they are the obstacles to Medicare for all. They are the obstacles to $50 minimum wage. They are the obstacles to having strategic small defense budget. So we do say that, and getting money out of politics, big money out of politics, is a major part of the reform we need. Anthony and Detroit, Michigan, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Yeah, my question is for Congressman, being one of the most you know progressive members in Congress, so what's on uh, your personal uh, priority list for the opening days of the new Congress, like first few days, January 3rd, 4th, 5th? First, we need to get monthly checks to people. We need to expand unemployment insurance. People are hurting. They can't pay the rent. They can't put food on the table. They're struggling to pay the bills. We've got to get more money into the pockets of ordinary Americans and working class and poor Americans. Second, we've got to get the wage up to $15. I mean, people ought to be paid at least $15, and they ought to uh, be paid for their work. The fact that the federal wage is, minimum wage is stuck at $7.25 is absolutely wrong. We know there's universal appeal for that. And then third, I would say let's get massive investments in infrastructure and creating the modern infrastructure of technology, green jobs, broadband opportunities for new training facilities and buildings to really revitalize our economy. Guy in Decatur, Georgia, here on the Earth, Congressman Connor. Yes, hi. Um, I, I was wondering if it would be possible to pass a law or an executive order that requires anybody that runs for federal public office to publish their tax returns. In my opinion, that would be the best way to keep Trump from running because he obviously can't produce his tax returns without showing his foreign entanglements and other difficulties that he would have running. That's a good idea. I don't know if the Republicans will go for it in the Senate, but a lot depends on Georgia. But I certainly think there's every Democrat would support that law. And I think it's a reasonable law that you ought to be able to force to disclose your taxes if you're going to run for office. As it is, you're required to have your financial disclosures. And I have to disclose everything. I have to disclose any financial transaction every month. So it makes sense that we should be having to disclose our taxes. Ken in Lafayette, Colorado. You're on the air with Congressman Connor. Uh, yes, good morning, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Mr. Connor, Tom has been touching on this topic, basically holding Republicans accountable. For example, he's 106, who signed on this ridiculous lawsuit. But my question to you is I'm really hoping you and your colleagues, Democratic colleagues, plan on dropping the legal hammer on Trump and all things Republican. I mean, not just these 106 congressmen, but for example, Matt Getz, for excuse me if my terminology isn't correct, but for violating the SCIF rule or the SCIF law, for example. I mean, all these clowns really need to be held accountable despite the right-wing alternative facts and conspiracy theories that they're spreading. So is there any plan to drop the legal hammer, so to speak, on these clowns? And I agree with you that we need to be enforcing the rules. And what happened on the SCIF with people barging in with pizza boxes was unconscionable. But the fact of the matter is, I think one of the approaches the Biden administration and Pelosi have taken is to say uh, Biden is going to be president. Uh, Kamala Harris is going to be vice president. Uh, and then we don't want to be giving Trump the oxygen of continuing to be relevant. Uh, one of the things you need to do is just deprive him of any relevancy. And so there's been a large focus on let's get our cabinet, let's get our agenda, and let's focus on what we're going to do for the American people. To what extent does that parallel Jerry Ford's philosophy? And that didn't turn out so well. 
Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Tom. But Ford pardoned Nixon, as you know, and there's no way that Biden mm-hmm. would pardon Trump. And he's certainly not going to tell his Justice Department attorney general, don't pursue where the law leads us. I think he's going to have aggressive, smart people in there, and they're going to find out if there were ever efforts to destroy documents, if there were efforts to cover up. And we should hold everyone accountable based on the rule of law. But he doesn't have to personally, or Congress people don't have to personally opine. We have to leave it to career prosecutors and give them all of the authority to pursue wherever the law leads them. What do you think about a congressional commission to look into the crimes committed during the Trump presidency? I think that makes sense. I think there has to be an accounting. And while the Justice Department, I think, should be pursuing most of the legal work, having Congress also look into it, because there may have been certain things that don't fall to a level of prosecution, but certainly were illegal and and maybe hard to prove. And and we ought to have a a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, some uh, effort to look into all of the uh, horrific things that went on, starting with the separation of kids from their parents. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back, Congressman Rokana, taking your calls for the hour. And Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Paul, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. My perspective on the seditionist movement is I'm for letting them have their way, because I think that if given a choice, if Donald Trump could be the president of only those 18 states, they'd never have it. What they really want is him to be the president of our states, to put the thumb in our eye. So my question for you is, what strategies can you think of to keep as much money revenue in blue states rather than going as revenues for the for the federal government because the republicans need the federal government to put public money in private hands and as tom well knows my my suggestion is for the democrats in congress to run on repealing the federal income tax and let all taxes federal state and local be collected at state level and the federal tax there can be paid by state treasurers based on their representation in congress how would you respond to that Well, with uh, respect, I disagree. I mean, I don't think we want to be separating the union. We fought a civil war and uh, Lincoln valiantly tried to to, to save the union. Uh, And I don't think that the divisions are insurmountable. There is still, if anything, I think the challenge is that there have been places in this country that have been left out economically, minority communities, rural communities. And what we ought to focus on is how we build a a multiracial coalition, the type Reverend Barber is building of working class whites, black, Latino, working class individuals to fight for a $15 wage, to fight for health care, to fight for education in ways that can unify this country. So to write off huge states or huge segments of the population, I, I just don't believe in that. Michael in Bronx, New York, here on the air with Congressman Khanna. Greetings, gentlemen. Very serious question here. First, I do not like the stunt being sold by these Republicans in trying to overturn an already decided election by a massive landslide of people who saw fit to vote Trump out. Should the Supreme Court dismiss it with prejudice? Michael, yes, the Supreme Court should dismiss it. You know, I don't know if they need to 
dismiss it with prejudice is the final court. So once they dismiss it, the matter is done. And I, I don't think you could bring a new case on it. But maybe they should in case there's some other people thinking of suing on the same similar grounds. They should dismiss it. I expect them to dismiss it. I doubt the justices themselves want to write an opinion on this, which would be even for the conservative justice, it'd be probably nine zero or eight one or seven two, maybe with Alito and Thomas possibly trying to come up with some rationale. But there's they don't want to write an opinion saying that these states are out of their mind and have no legal basis. So I my guess is they don't take the case. Tom in Newcastle, Delaware, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Mitch McConnell and uh, all the bills that he's not acting on is uh, sort of a messaging suggestion that uh, we revive the uh, hashtag, where's Mitch? So whenever the discussion comes up, it's like Congress, we passed a stimulus to provide $600 a week, something like that, and then where's Mitch on this? I agree with you. I love that where's Mitch. I think that was very effective when we did it. He's been absent on so many issues, on gun violence, on democracy reform, on infrastructure. And in some ways, he's been the biggest obstacle to any social progress. Trump was an obstacle in terms of American norms and engaging in racist speech and engaging in discrimination. But Trump had, was, was not in, in the, standing in the way of, of infrastructure bills and was not standing in the way even of a larger stimulus. Mitch McConnell has literally blocked almost every piece of progressive legislation in my four years of Congress. And we have not been able to make that case. People think of Congress and they think all of Congress is broken. Really, the obstacle is McConnell. And, and even if the Republicans had a different leader, it would be very different. So we need to do a better job making that case. Shay in Jacksonville, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. I just wanted to ask you, sir, when are the Democrats going to re-strategize old strategies? There hasn't been any new effective strategies to deal with the GOP. I would say that you don't impeach because you think that you're going to win. You impeach because there are impeachable offenses. And this way, just as the sedition that is happening right now, you have to indict the seditious acts in order to let anyone that will come after them, your point was, you know, they'll just be replaced. Well, they need to know that there will be consequences as well, that all applicable laws and procedures will apply to them. So I believe that the reason that disinformation has spread the way that it has throughout the land is because Democrats weren't willing to push back. You have to have a full-throated opposition to these types of things. So that's my question. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shay. Sure, I completely agree with you in a full voted opposition, and we have to stand on principle. And on impeachment, we did. I mean, on impeachment was politically unpopular. Trump's poll numbers after we impeached went up. Unfortunately, Trump, you know, if it weren't for his total mishandling of the pandemic post-impeachment, he was on course to win re-election. And so the Democrats there did put principle first. And I I agree with you. That's the approach we need to take going forward. Bill in New Rochelle, New York. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Yeah, my my question is on the same order. I mean, is it too late to go for an additional impeachment of Trump? Um, What if we would win the Senate with Georgia? And might that also blow up his uh, pardon powers? If uh, if we win the Senate, you mean to try to impeach him in uh, again, but you know, you need 67 votes to convict in the Senate. So we're nowhere near having that. And, you know, I think that the key and every, what everyone wants is for him to leave and then hopefully not hear from him for a while. Someone, someone said to me, and I don't know how true it is, that he's going to go to Florida and then not come back after the holidays. Yeah. With regard to the impeachment, you know, the pardon clause says that he has the pardon power except in times of impeachment. And that's why I was saying, you know, if you were to start impeachment proceedings against him in the House, it's never been tested at the Supreme Court. But would that prevent him from issuing dozens and dozens of pardons to, you know, people like Ken Paxton? That's an interesting idea. I mean, I'd have to uh, explore it. And certainly if if he starts to, there's evidence he's going to do something like that, we should we should consider using any tool at our at our disposal. I mean, of course, he could resign and Pence could do it as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, who knows what he's what he's doing uh, on the way out? I mean, the 
the sad thing is he's gotten the lesson that he can do almost anything and his base is going to stick with him. And that's why I think he feels so brazen in, in what he's doing. Yeah. Congressman, we just have 40 seconds. How, how best can Congress address that? I mean, I, I think you just put your finger on the biggest problem we have right here, which is that, you know, for 40 years, we've been letting get Republicans get away with this stuff. For 60 years, we, we, since Nixon. Yeah, I think we have to be tougher. I think Democrats are, by temperament, one, seeking reconciliation, seeking dialogue, of thinking, can't we just see the better of the argument? And we've now been confronted over and over again with a party that's cynically about power. And we have to be clear-eyed about what we're dealing with. Yeah, well said. Defending America from the weapons of mass deception. David in Woodland Hills, California. David, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. On the subject of better democratic messaging, Tom has been asking the liberal billionaires like Tom Steyer to buy a media empire to rival Fox News, which they don't want to do. So how about we ask the liberal billionaires to fund a never-ending truth campaign of radio and TV commercials, especially in the Rush Limbaugh areas, like Got Milk, like Where's the Beef, just telling the truth about Mitch McConnell, the Republican agenda, versus the Democratic agenda. If they don't want to buy a network, certainly they could fund this campaign. I agree with you, and I think that the right donors have been much more strategic about putting money into radio, putting money into television stations, putting money into infrastructure. Our donors have not, and that's changing. There have been some of the donors, big donors in Silicon Valley, Reed Hoffman, Laureen Powell Jobs, and, and others who did a lot of infrastructure work in digital technology for efforts to elect Biden and Harris, and I think that their efforts made a material difference. But we have to get them focused also on other communication, including radio and things Tom has been talking about. Chris in Portland, Oregon, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. I'm curious about this possible stimulus check at 1200 bucks, maybe. Will it include people who are on Social Security? They keep saying working people. but um... Yes, it will include people on Social Security if it's drafted the way that the Democrats want, it has an income cutoff. But if your income is below 100,000, as I think the number that's being floated are 75 to 100,000. This, though, is uh, being debated. I mean, the Republican bill didn't have stimulus checks. The president wanted stimulus checks of $600, but he wanted to take away unemployment insurance. You can't take away people's unemployment insurance to get people stimulus checks. So the whole thing is being debated. My view is we have to be focused on the unemployment insurance extensions and on the stimulus checks to people. So just to be clear, Trump is saying we'll give you $600, but we're going to take away your unemployment. Mitch McConnell is saying we're not going to give you anything. And the Democrats are saying we want to give you $600 a week and extend your unemployment. Do I have that right? Absolutely right. The Democrats are saying we want to extend your unemployment and give you $1,200. And and some Democrats... Like me, I've been saying $2,000 of checks, but at least 1200 is the party position. So the Democrats are talking about one-off stimulus checks as opposed to ongoing weekly supplemental checks. The Democratic position is we have the unemployment insurance extended. Those are ongoing weekly checks plus a one-off stimulus check. Okay, got it. Thank you. Stephanie in Yarmouth, or Yarmouth, Maine, you are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Tulsi Garber introduced H.R. 8932, which, if passed, this bill would make it a violation for institutions that receive federal funding to permit a person whose biological sex at birth is male to participate in an athletic program or activity that's designated for women or girls. In other words, it's a bill to withdraw Title IX funding from local school districts who let trans kids participate in sports. I wonder how you feel about that. In terms of the funding for trans kids to participate in sports, I mean, I absolutely think that the funding should allow trans children to participate in sports and that schools that were banning that or discriminating against that should not receive federal funding. James in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hey, James, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Tom talked about it earlier this week about the Trump administration actively trying to put the kibosh or try to dismantle the uh, SSDI, Social Security Disability Insurance. 
James, that is something that we need to expand, not dismantle. The Trump administration is not going to be able to touch that. It has to go to Congress. But as you know, the SSDI and SSI are uh, woefully inadequate for people uh, who are either disabled or poor and don't have any income. You can barely uh, survive. It's, I think, about $1,000 a month. Uh, we need to have a, uh, an increase in that. We need to have an increase in people being able to uh, have, accumulate savings. Right now, you can't more than $2,000. Uh, and Tom and I have discussed this in the past, how many people have benefited from SSDI uh, if you uh, get injured or have some unfortunate accident in the middle of your life. But right now, it's inadequate, and we need to expand it. And we can make all of these expansions if we just started taxing Social Security income over $250,000, like every worker, is taxed on the entirety of their income. Steve in San Diego, you're on the air with Congressman Cano. What did you talk about in Congress about messaging to promote to the media, maybe a one-minute uh, one commercial regarding the fascist tactics of Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell uh, blocking everything? This is a recurring theme amongst your listeners, Tom, is that we're not doing a good enough job of getting the message out that McConnell is the obstacle and blocking everything. And how do we get this message in a minute that's compelling, that breaks through, so people just don't think, oh, uh, everyone in Congress is, is at fault. Uh, and I will talk to our caucus and our communication strategy. And if your listeners have ideas, you, know, you can email me, row at rowcana.com. But I, I hear you that we need to do a better job of getting this, this message out. 15 seconds for final thoughts. It is just a total abdication of American government to have the kind of suffering we do, being the richest country in the world and not being able to help people. I mean, it's shameful. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Congressman, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's great talking Thank with you. Thank you, Tom. Always enjoy it. Back at you. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program, all three hours of our program, anytime you'd like? Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show, anytime you want, and special content. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. That we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out. Patreon.com slash Tom Harp. Thank you. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us for Middays with Mark. Congressman Pocan is the uh, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. He represents the 2nd District of Wisconsin and the U.S. House of, of Representatives. His website is pocan, P-O-C-A-N.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman Pocan, welcome back. I'm wondering what's at the top of your mind and list today. Uh, you know, right now we're back in session. We're desperately trying to get a, a final COVID uh, relief bill done. There was some progress, which, you know, we would still like to get some direct payments. 
Uh, we don't want to get rid of any kind of uh, overt liability for corporations across the board. But then the president put out his own package that runs counter to, I think, what the, legis- the, the Congress has been working on. And uh, I still think there's a good chance we'll get it done by next week. But, you know, uh, certainly it's being done in the most Washington way, a little bit chaotic. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can get something that provides some relief to people who desperately have been waiting and need some support. What's your best guess on how this is going to shake out? You know, we've heard all these different competing things that, you know, Mitch McConnell is proposing basically $40 billion worth of aid for regular Americans. This is the same guy who pushed through one and a half trillion dollars in tax cuts for the billionaires that $40 billion should, uh, which is basically, you know, just extending unemployment. On the other hand, I know you guys are pushing for uh, three to $600 a week in addition to unemployment and extending mm-hmm. unemployment. Uh, you've got the president saying, why don't we just give everybody a $2,000 check that I can sign my name to and, and screw the unemployment. <laughs> Where is this going to end yeah. up? You know, I, I'm hoping that uh, we'll get it much closer to where the CARES Act was in in the sense of uh, people who are unemployed do need the extra assistance, and that's been a high priority for us. Uh, we also are supportive of some direct payments for people, but first we want to take care of the people who are hurt the most, those who are unemployed. Um, and then, you know, as you said, Mitch McConnell isn't representing any person as a constituent, but a lot of corporations as constituents by trying to have protections to provide uh, immunity from any liability laws, which, again, we're not going to give anything open-ended like that. So, but everything else is kind of coming to place. The problem is, you know, it's illogical how this is being created. It's the most Washington creation ever. Um, the, the Republican Senate has said that nothing more than one trillion. So no matter what you actually need to do, you have to have this arbitrary cap that we're trying to put everything under, which is why it's been hard to get some of the direct payments and other things in there. Rather than saying, what do we actually need? And what's it going to cost to do, do that? They're putting out a dollar figure as if uh, you know that is what's the driving factor. And it, it's just kind of a, a strange process. But I, I'm hopeful from what we hear, we, we could have something by next week. Yeah, this is because we have a bunch of uh, Republican billionaires in the United States who are looking at their tax bills and going, oh, no, 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 (laughs) you can't spend more than that. Okay, well, let's pick up some phone calls here. Omar in Herndon, Virginia. Omar, you're on the air. with uh, Omar saves his calls up all week uh, just to talk to you every week, uh, Congressman Pocan. Omar, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Because Mr. Pocan is, is, is the brilliant man. He's the most honest man, and he knows a lot. Mr. Pocan, I just wanted to make the point that we still have to continue to deal with other things as students loan, uh, Medicare for all, and bank regulation in addition to the COVID that we're working on. But my question to you, um, is there anything that we can do, you know, without, without giving up the farm uh, for these Republicans to be able to get this uh, bill through? Because a lot of people are hurting, and I think it, it's, it's going to get worse. Thank you. Yeah, I I really believe, Omar, and and, uh, thank you for your call. Um, I I really believe that there is a good faith effort to get something done between the House and the Senate. You know, the president coming in kind of at the last hour, um, he's already, uh, I think, starting to get a a cold cheek from some of the Republicans when it comes to some of these issues. And I think we'll have something that will provide some unemployment extension and some of the money that we need for testing and for um, the support for local and state governments and some of the scaled back uh, items that we need, knowing that Joe Biden will be in on January 20th and that we will likely have to put another package. Not likely, we will have to do another package at that point. But if we can get something through right now before year end and extend some of the deadlines that are important, I think we can get that done by next week. Barbara in Fayetteville, Arkansas, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Okay, thanks to both of you. My question is, and it's just because I did 50 years in education, I don't understand why Congress, and I'm going to include both the the Republicans and the Democrats, the money that goes into the pockets of the middle class and the lower class, they don't start savings accounts. They don't start plans to make money. They put it right back into the economy, and yet we they are the ones that we're refusing to give the money to. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Barbara. You're right. I agree with what you're saying is is rather than giving it to the wealthiest too often, just put it aside for the future or, you know, we're waiting when they could take a, a vacation to the, you know, Caribbean or something like that. We need people who uh, if, if people of lower income and middle income get money, they will 
very, very likely put it immediately back into the economy, right? And that would help get the economy going where we still have a large number of people who are unemployed. So there's no question that is the proper way to do a stimulus. But I do think the very most important thing we have to do is those who are hurt the hurting the hardest, who are unemployed, who are uh, small businesses have lost demand at no fault of their own, restaurants, bars, meeting industry, where you just can't have people coming in right now. We need to provide some support to those kind of folks right now, because they're the ones who are feeling it the hardest. And then let's see if we can help everyone to stimulate the economy from the bottom up, not the top down. Sasha in Kent, Washington, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Mr. Pocan. I want to ask about this runaway pardon situation. People want accountability, and it seems like the only way to stop that train is to start another pardon, and then if he resigns, start to pardon Mr. Pence. I realize it sounds crazy, and and you'd get a lot of bad press, but there's an arrow in the quiver. Why not use it? Yeah, I think, Sasha, on the pardon... Yeah, I'm not sure if I fully understand. On the pardon issue, I think the real issue out there is what is Donald Trump going to do for himself and his family, right? And, you know, if you are advocating a pardon for yourself or your family, you're admitting you've already broken the law, which to me is the most um, elementary part of all this. Uh, He's still trying to claim that somehow he can do this. I think there's a lot of legal questioning whether or not he can. Some people think that he may resign and let um, Pence then become president to pardon him. I don't think that's going to happen again. I don't know if you can pardon me before uh, there's been any kind of a legal case that would be credible. So um, I think much of this is more discussion at this point, but we're certainly watching. With this president, I would put nothing past what he might try to attempt. Jim in Long Beach, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'm wondering about the priorities again. I asked before about uh, supporting uh, the Senate race in Georgia and was kind of told it was in Georgia's hands, but I'm getting emails constantly from Ossoff and Warnock, Warnock asking for money, asking for money and, and to make phone calls. So I, I think if we don't win the Senate, all these other topics are really down the tube. So please comment. Oh, I would say absolutely support them. But let's get let's hear what Congressman yeah. Pocan has to say. I think I'm glad if I was not clear, thank you for raising this. We should absolutely all financially support those candidates. And if you can do phone calls, that would be good. What I meant is they don't want us physically going to Georgia for the campaign, because if you have a bunch of people from the Northeast or uh, from the Midwest that don't sound like you're from Georgia, that doesn't help them to have it make it a national campaign. They don't want to nationalize it in that way. So they want it to be in, in a Georgia campaign. But absolutely, they would love to have our resources and our help when it comes to phone banks. So I was just talking, they don't want me down there. They don't want someone taking a bus and working down there if your accent doesn't sound like you're from Georgia. That's the part that they're trying to make sure that they're keeping it a Georgia-based campaign. And Stacey Abrams knows how to do that better than anyone. So um, we're, we're taking the advice that they've offered. Louise and I have contributed to a number of candidates in, in this last cycle, and she probably got 100 text messages on her phone and probably that many phone calls, but you know she ignores them. And I was like, I wonder at what point this becomes unproductive. You know, I mean, there's that always question on mail, too, right? Like, how many pieces of mail is yeah. too many? And at what point does it run counterproductive? And I'm hoping they won't do that. But I do think they still can't use money to be very specific in pinpointing people that right. they do need. Well, that's why I've been suggesting, you know, focus. Go to Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight organization. Go to John Ossoff's campaign directly and go to Reverend Warnock's campaign directly and just focus your efforts in those three places. Sound good? That is great advice. Hi, thanks for taking my call. (laughs) Congressman Pocan, when the leaders are deciding which groups need how much money for stimulus support, I'm curious about which numbers do you use? Are you using 2020 costs of living numbers or are you using old statistics? I'm not sure exactly on the question because we're trying to do a lot of different things within the bill, right? Unemployment, we're just trying to do what we've already done, right, is continue that $600 extension or as close as we can get to that. When it comes to the stimulus checks that you're right, that's not really based on much of anything other than we know that you could use that support to help stimulate the economy. When it comes to state and local governments, it's really for specific funding for testing and for contact tracing. When it comes to funding for PPE, et cetera, we do have pretty accurate 
accurate ideas of what that's costing. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question directly, Dorothy. I apologize if I'm not. You know, in most of these, this is an extension of what we did back in May in the HEROES Act, and then we voted on again this fall. So that's the parts that Democrats have been advocating for and where this compromise ends up exactly. It may be the numbers are compromised, but I'm not sure the Republicans are necessarily coming at it from the same perspective we have as far as in the negotiation. Troy in Brooklyn, New York, here on the air with Congressman Pocan. It's regarding the stimulus. The, I don't know if it's the amount of money coming in. My question, has anybody looked at it, uh, an economist, as far instead of just how much money we give to people, there needs to be some type of pause on all the bills that are coming in. Small businesses drive the economy, so if small businesses have still inventory, rent, and they have to pay, it would once they start up again, it will be behind. If we can pause that, the business don't lose, the the banks won't lose anything if they defer it. Is it. Has anybody looked at the impact of trying to just pause everything until we can get stuff enough enough money flowing to start the economy again? I hear what you're saying on the pause. I think the more probable idea that, that makes a lot of sense is looking at what Canada, England, Germany, Denmark, other countries have done. There's some Asian countries which is a bill that Pramila Jayapal actually has, which is a a paycheck, essentially a guarantee, so that people could still be working even if a business has got a lack of demand, but it's not affecting that business because that payroll is being supported in a good chunk of it by the federal government. So the business continue to exist. The person still has a payroll. They don't have to be on other support programs. And it kind of is the version of the pause, but keeps everything going. So instead of a pause, it's kind of a, a continuation without having anyone be negatively affected. So it's kind of another way of getting at what you're talking about. The problem is I don't know at what point we'll be able to talk about that, especially if we don't get the seats in Georgia, because the Republicans have been pretty much non-starters on that as an idea. So I do think that's probably the best way to go, because that way you're not having winners and losers necessarily when it comes to some of the businesses, but you're helping everyone out who needs the payroll support. And that way the economy continues to have that money in the economy, people spending it. And uh, we will then get out of this as the vaccines get rolled out and people are able to, again, see people. Tracy in Richland, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Could the return of the fairness doctrine effectively counterbalance the right-wing echo chamber's influence over its followers? And if so, could the fairness doctrine be reenacted by presidential executive order? Second part, I don't know. I'll tell you that. I do think, though, that it's worth having a serious debate about the fairness doctrine, right? Because whether or not it will stop how the right-wing uses their media I'm not sure, but whether or not it would make media more fair in general, I think so. I think this is something that's a worthy conversation to be having. Kevin in Cambridge, Wisconsin, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman Pocan, um, I'm an independent contractor here in Wisconsin, of course, and I didn't file my taxes in 2018, but I did in 2019. I was just wondering if you guys would look into why some of us haven't gotten our tax stimulus check. First of all, Tom, this is two people from my district. This is awesome. I don't think we've ever had two. So thank you, Kevin. Call my office. And this is exactly what we do with our constituent work. You know, we want to be your advocate. We can find out what happened. There are some people, as you mentioned, depending on how they filed, whether or not they're good, they got the check or it's just going to be applied to their next year taxes. But reach out to our office and, and any member of Congress, wherever you may live in the country, if this is a situation that impacts you, reach out to your member of Congress, the House or the Senate, And this is our job to try to help you through this. And we'll be more than glad to. Charlie in Joliet, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes, sir. I would like to know if um, we know where these children that were confiscated at the border are being held and what kind of conditions are they being held in? Yeah, Charlie, I think we generally have that information. I think the bigger point, though, is is worth repeating over and over and over again, is that the policies under this administration have been so awful that they knowingly separated children from their parents and then lost the contacts. And now we have hundreds of children that you've separated from their parents, and now you're trying to 
figure out a way to, to support them and, and to separate a family like that. It's just the cruelest, worst policy possible. And that, of course, defines much of what Donald Trump did. I visited some of these facilities where we had the children, especially uh, early on where they were in cages and we saw that they were chain length cages, no different than the dog run in the back of my house. Um, and it's been a, a terrible policy. And it's one of the first things that we hope Joe Biden will be able to change when he comes in office, because um, this president in his rhetoric about the wall and immigration and, you know, really about black and brown skinned people, he's done some awful things in the name of the United States. Chris in Santa Fe, New Mexico, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning, Congressman. Um, I know we're all looking forward to getting back to a normal next year. Unfortunately, normal is an economy that is a house of cards and Trump and Manishin are pulling out the cards at the bottom right now. And I understand your focus on relief for the unemployed, but um, working class out here that are making sure um, that everyone else has food and supplies that are, we're working poverty wage jobs. We're still working poverty wage jobs and um, uh, we're not getting any relief. Is it possible to put any uh, Buy American provision in any COVID disaster relief bill? And I'm going to call it that now a stimulus bill because if it is a stimulus bill, is it possible to put a Buy American provision because um, otherwise the money just cycles through once and goes somewhere else instead of strengthening the economy here at home? I think it'd be tough to see that in the COVID negotiations right now, and let's face it, most of the PPE is made overseas right now. Most of our drugs are made overseas right now. Like we've got a lot to do to change that. And that's a whole separate program we could have on that one issue. But there are some Buy American provisions that aren't always enforced, uh, especially when it comes to things like anything for the military. You know, the Coast Guard doesn't follow it. Some of the other defense agencies don't follow it. And I am a strong supporter of Buy American laws. I think they make a lot of sense. And we need to do much more to bring back drug manufacturing to the United States, the PPE manufacturing, manufacturing in general. Uh, and unfortunately, we've been fighting against decades of really bad trade policies. So I think you're onto something, Chris. And I also agree that, you know, the, the thing we've got to do to try to help the average working person, you're right, who may not be unemployed, but still hurting, is there are some measures I think you can see Joe Biden do, like requiring federal contractors to do a $15 minimum wage, for example, with help lift wages in other areas. And we're going to have to be creative because if we don't have the Senate, or if we have a very narrow margin in the House, some of these issues could be difficult to get done legislatively. Steve in Evanston, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. There's a lot of talk about reaching across the aisle to Republicans and trying to lure moderate, um, like Reagan Democrats, back into the fold. Um, I'm wondering about the other aisle. I perceive an aisle to um, progressives and young disaffected voters and people who are just so poor that they don't believe the Democrats have their interests in mind and can do anything for them. And I wonder if that makes sense to you. And thank you. Absolutely, Steve. You know, and I think that's what we're, we're looking at the election results right now. And one of the things I think that you're going to see the Progressive Caucus do, but you're going to see a lot of people do, are focus groups going, finding out why people came out to vote. You know, what was the reason for both Republicans and Democrats to come out? Because I think some of the initial rhetoric that came out about, you know, um, defund the police or whatever was the reason people lost. We very quickly found anyone who thinks they know how every race in the country went 48 hours later really shows how much they don't know. And what we're going to find is that many of issues uh, motivated younger voters who are more progressive to come out and vote. And if you want people to come out and vote, we're going to have to talk about those sorts of issues. So uh, I think, you know, what we're going to do is do some focus groups. And I think others are, are going to be doing the same thing. And hopefully this will help make the case that, uh, you know, having strong progressive values actually brings out more uh, votes to the Democrats. And that's ultimately what we have to do rather than what you're saying, you know, just try to pull some people in from the middle. I want to pull in people who feel that they're not included in the system because it's important we get those people out to vote. Michael in Las Vegas, Nevada, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. So I'm originally from Kentucky, and I proudly voted against Mitch McConnell the first time I could vote. I'm so disappointed that Kentuckians put him back in the Senate for six more years. I'm very heartened to see Katie Porter call him out for his rampant corruption and hypocrisy. I can't believe, well, I guess I can't believe that he'll put corporations over people's lives. But I'm just curious, 
is there any kind of like unspoken rule of decorum? Because I don't really hear many House Democrats speak out or lambast Republicans in the Senate as much as I hear Republicans in the Senate, you know, lambast House Democrats and vice versa. Um, I'm just curious, is there kind of a unified message that House Democrats could really get on board with to go after Mr. McConnell right now, expose him for his hypocrisy and corruption as far as it pertains to this COVID relief bill? Yeah, well, and, and you know, what's interesting, I think, is this goes back to how the mainstream media works. Katie Porter is one of many voices that said the same thing. Fortunately for Katie, she gets a little more media attention, and because of that, she got covered. But if the media doesn't cover what people say, um, then you wouldn't know what's happening. You know, I have Ron Johnson from my state who is, um, you know, trying to, competing to try to be, I think, the worst senator in many ways, recently had a hearing with an anti-vaxxer, and, you know, before that he's still on this, you know, the election isn't over, you know, rhetoric. And we've called him out many times, um, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, if that's not what mainstream media decides to focus on, you wouldn't know about it, right, unless you're following our social media or something, and that's very limited. So um, I think there are plenty of people who call out Senate Republicans. It's just a matter of how they often, whether or not they get that coverage. And Katie, just fortunately, is one of those people that gets coverage, and she's very effective at how she works. She definitely is. John, just across the river from me in Vancouver, Washington, you're on the Earth Congress in Pocan. Yes, good morning. I was wondering if we can put a bill forward for oversight of the of the president where the Supreme Court is the is the court of jurisdiction over all subpoenas for oversight of any congressional committee. So that we because this taking years to find things out, it's a national security nightmare and it shows tons of division in the citizenry when some people believe the president and other people believe the the facts. Yeah, I, I think the best thing that we can do in Congress, Ted Lieu has an in, uh, inherent contempt proposal, which will essentially allow us to enforce subpoenas, because I think that's one of the things that we saw this administration really abuse was in the past. If someone got in a subpoena, they would come and testify before Congress, even if they didn't want to. Donald Trump just didn't care. He doesn't care about following the law, and therefore he didn't come. And short of uh, putting in inherent contempt, it, it was difficult to get them to be able to come and do what they should have done anyway, as any responsible administration would do. So, you know, that's something that we've been trying to you know, figure out if there's a way to get in the House rules, because we think that would be important. But you know, certainly we should have, we are separate co-equal branches of government. We have to have the oversight where we have it, but we can't provide, you know, some direct control in some other areas. So that's why we have to utilize tools like inherent contempt and other things that make administrations follow. I think we all have to remember those. Donald Trump has been unique. Democrat and Republican presidents previously followed these rules, but now that they've been broken, um, I think we have to assume they're going to be broken again. Bruce in Petaluma, California. You're on the air with Congressman Token. Hi, thanks for taking my call. My question is, since the Republicans managed to remove millions of people, it seems, from the voter rolls, can it be made more difficult to remove anyone from the voter rolls by having that voter notified and have them argue their case for why they shouldn't be removed? Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, Bruce, uh, common sense would certainly dictate that. That's why we had to put it together, H.R. 1, the most comprehensive bill to deal with campaign finance elections and ethics reform. That certainly would uh, do some of that, and we need to to have that passed. The problem is the Senate's probably not going to go there. Right now, everything is done state by state. The best way to deal with this is a constitutional amendment that I've introduced that Jesse Jackson Jr. had previously, which is to guarantee a constitutional right to vote, because believe it or not, there's not an explicit right in the Constitution. And if you had that, any burden you put on a voter, you'd have to prove that you haven't put a burden on the voter rather than the opposite. Right now, you've got to prove you've had a burden put on you. The burden would then go on the state who tries to make it harder for people to vote. So I think that is kind of the gold standard that we need to get to. Good on you. That, that is such a vital thing. I mean, it's just, it's, just a, it's just such a dereliction of the Supreme Court not to have already acknowledged that since the phrase right to vote Absolutely. exists in three different constitutional amendments. Yeah, you know, already, you know, but it's just it's just a crime. Ed in Belfair, Washington, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. 
Good morning, Representative Pocan. My question has to do with uh, organized labor, and is there anything that we can do to make America Union strong again? Tom just mentioned Amazon and Walmart, these big box stores. They ask for tax breaks to bring in their, their companies, but they don't keep the wages up. And if you could comment on Proposition uh, 22 in California that they just passed, if you know anything about that. Thank you. Yeah, I'll tell you, let me just take the first part. You know, we just formed a labor caucus. I'm one of the chairs of that, and we've never had a labor caucus before in Congress to do just that, to try to be more proactive on um, whether it be legislation or ways to push this administration to do executive orders and agency rules that would help uh, working people. Also, we need the president to do that. And the good news is there was an article recently where he claims he will be the most pro-union president we've ever had. Now we can see if he'll do that. But I think there are some things that he absolutely can do immediately that would turn around some of the negative changes that Donald Trump did. But more importantly, you know, we've got the bill called the PRO Act, which is the bill that really would be the I'm not sure if I'd say gold, maybe a high silver standard of what we need. I think there's a stronger bill that Bernie Sanders and I have introduced that would include things like card check and things. But we absolutely need to give workers a chance to be empowered in their workplaces, uh, have a voice, and do all we can to make sure we're improving their safety conditions, their wages, and their benefits. Congressman, we just have a minute to, a little less than a minute, actually, until the end of the hour. I'm curious your thoughts on where we should be best focusing our activism, both with regards to the Georgia election coming up and more generally as well. Yeah, I mean, the Georgia election obviously is important if people can help in financial and other ways. I think also we got one week to having a COVID package, reaching out to your member of the House and Senate and saying get a package that prioritizes people, not corporations, uh, would be helpful for them to get those calls. You know, as we get into a new session, we could have a very, very tight margin in the House, especially now that a couple people have been appointed to a Biden administration it's going to be tougher to see legislation happen than previously, so we're really going to have to rely on the ability to convince this administration to get things done. This administration meaning the Biden administration? Yes, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yes, the incoming okay. administration to get things done. Yes. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Congressman Pokin, thanks so much for dropping by today. Always great having you on. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. 